Welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. This is Greg Voice and inviting you to listen to our latest podcast, episode number 923, with Brandon Peel about his new book entitled Purpose Work Nation, Leading Organizations in Service of Our Nation's Powerful Purpose. This podcast number 923 is brought to you by Derek Richardson, author of a new book entitled Go Play, The Ultimate Roadmap to Winning at the Game of Life. If you want to know more about Derek Richardson, his new book and his company called Richardson Marketing Group, please visit his website at www.richardsonmarketinggroup.net. That's www.richardsonmarketing group.net. And now for a featured podcast, please listen to my engaging interview with Brandon Peel about his new book entitled Purpose Work Nation, leading organizations in service of our nation's powerful purpose. Happy listening. Welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. This is Greg Voice and the host of Inside Personal Growth. And joining him from my hometown, actually, couldn't be that much closer, uh, is Brandon Peel. Uh, Brandon has a book out called Purpose Work Nation, leading organizations in service of our nation's powerful purpose. Good day to you, Brandon. How are you? I'm good, Greg. Thank you for having me on. I say good day because I never know exactly what time zone anyone's going to listen to these in. So Brandon and I actually had an opportunity to meet in purpose, which meet in purpose, meet in person. (laughs) And that was on purpose too. Um, Prior to this interview, which is always great because it gives me an opportunity to know a little bit more about the person. And that doesn't happen when you have authors joining you from all over the world to actually come on the show. So thank you for doing that with me. I really appreciate it. I'm going to give our listeners a a tad bit of information about you. Uh, He's a Midwesterner, best-selling author. His website says, uh, unifier, activator, author, speaker. So that would really kind of sum up Brandon. Um, he's uh, He's got a thing called Unity Lab, which we're going to put a link to. Uh, he's trusted as a keynote speaker, consultant, and program leader in organizations such as Google, Johnson & Johnson, Stanford University, Morgan Stanley, U.S. Marine Corps, University of California, Berkeley, and the list goes on. He has written and co-written four books on purpose and leadership, uh, and his work has been featured by news organizations such as USA Today, U.S. News and World Report, and Forbes. He holds an MBA in leadership from Columbia Business School back in New York. Uh, it is an imper- He is on the Imperative Certified Purpose Leader uh, Council, is that? A T, yeah. And he's a PGI certified purpose guide. And he serves on the Council of the Global Purpose Leaders, which we'll put a link to that in our blog as well. And has completed over 3,000 hours of leadership coaching and facilitation training. Um, wow, you're a busy guy, Brandon. So uh, we'll. <laughs> we'll stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's always in the bios, there's always like. I love for those of you who want to learn more about Brandon, just go to Brandon Peel, B-R-A-N-D-O-N-P-E-E-L-E. And there you can learn more about him, his work, Unity Lab, everything. There's actually a cool picture of him 
he has a side life, my life. He's holding his wife over his shoulder at his wedding <laughs> with a sword in his hand. <laughs> so I'll give you the kind of, kind of guy that he is. So Brandon, I've told our listeners a little bit about kind of your educational background and a little bit about who you've worked with and your four books. But you have an interesting story about you, know, you came about uh, really getting involved with this purpose work and why you're so passionate about helping organizations. Um, and in this case, there's a bison on the front of it, live our nation's purpose and our per- personal purpose as well. So can you tell people, you know, how you got here? Because for a lot of people, this is not a normal career path. You know, they just don't go down and say, oh, well, I'm going to be a, a guy that helps business businesses find purpose and live our nation's purpose on top of it. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, obviously if your listeners are all kind of looking within and have been in that purpose inquiry for probably many years and not decades. So I was not too too, uh, dissimilar, um, you know, very traditional business background, two business degrees, began my career in investment banking, startups, venture capital, and achieved an early amount of success, uh, and that was, I think, a blessing in, in disguise because I, I got to see how empty just the basic purposeless e- success economy is all about. Um, yeah, just looking at the ladder, I'm like, I don't want to live like those folks. Pot belly pushing around a lawnmower in the suburbs, like, you know, repeating my dad's life uh, and then croaking on a golf course somewhere. And so in my late 20s, I, I began the inner journey and... Uh, in my early 30s, discovered the body of work called purpose work. And there's a handful of schools who certify folks in uh, empowering others to discover their own purpose, as well as the purpose of organizations. And so for basically the last decade, that's been my focus. It's just like purpose for everybody. I believe it's a human right, a civil right. And specifically because when we're not connected to that part of who we are, all we have is our personality, our ideas. Uh, and most of those were formed by family trauma, societal oppression, all sorts of things that really aren't us. They're just our personality structure. And when we get connected to purpose, we actually show up as who we really are. And this is what brings us into this conversation about healing the soul of our nation or saving the Republic, because we're divided, like right, left, up, down, <laughs> black, white, gay, straight. I mean, you name it. And it's because We've been herded. We've been polarized into identifying with these things that aren't really who we are. And so this is where I think purpose can play a beautifully catalytic role in empowering individuals to transcend these differences around race, politics, sexuality, et cetera. But really fulfilling our nation's purpose, which, you know, as you know, is e pluribus unum from many one. So we, we, diversity is our strength is basically what that means. Uh, life, liberty, pursuit of happiness, all are created equal. And we work consistently to form a more perfect union. So mm-hmm. those four things are we're woefully out of integrity with, but I'll pause there. I've I've talked a lot. No, no, that no. And I think it's important to for listeners to understand how you got there. Look, a guy from Illinois uh with an MBA uh following into this work is a bit unusual. So there was a something a, some disconnect for you. You might find this happen with somebody in psychology. 
but not always somebody with an MBA, right? <laughs> um, because your idea, as you said, you saw success early on. You didn't want to live the same life. And I get that there, there were these pains associated with seeing how people live their lives. And you wanted, in essence, I say for people to kind of wake up to what's possible. Um, and you mentioned that the purpose of the United States of America has four key parts. You just mentioned them. Um, uh, but in that, how do we effectuate our purpose during these times that we're living in, um, in connection with what you just mentioned, you know, a minute and a half ago about those four parts of our nation's purpose? Because I don't think that as a whole, there's anybody out there thinking about our nation's purpose, right? It's not something on their very mind every day. Very, very, yeah, very few. And our founding fathers who wrote that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when you go back to those times, they were in harder strife periods than we are today, okay? Um, they were hard, for sure. They were hard, maybe not harder, but... Look, it was difficult. So why the nation's purpose and then the connection to our own purpose and how do we effectuate this purpose, given there's so much going on in our lives that we're just trying to keep the piece, the, the wheels on the cart? Yeah, well, I'll, um, I'll just tell like a quick story that brings me into this conversation, basically. So 2020... Uh, I had just had a whole year of heartbreak, just uh, just moved to San Diego and was talking with homeless folks, talking with my neighbors. And it was just different from when I lived in the Bay Area. Um, folks are hand to mouth here. Um, and, you know, as I discovered, this is pretty much a national phenomenon. You know, and the Bay Area is very kind of... Uh, what do they call it? Precious. You know, you must have been living in a suburb of the Bay Area because downtown San Francisco has more homeless than anybody. Yeah. <laughs> but, I, 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 but, but I get it. It's kind of a perspective. Yeah. Yes, we we do in San Diego. I've lived here most of my life, have a huge issue with homelessness. And yeah. I know you told that story about the Black Lives Matter thing and the police. I thought that was is that the story we're going down? We'll get there. We'll get there. Okay. Um, So, you know, at the outset of 2020, I'm like, okay, I can't take any more heartbreak. I just want to serve. And of course, was working with great clients and had a great team and all that. And I just started watching our Democratic primary season, um, first impeachment, um, Supreme Court um, confirmation, uh, and then, of course, George Floyd's murder. And all of these, I just felt like I was in the ring with Mike Tyson. Like, wow, we are, like, we're falling apart. Um, you know, just seeing the conversations in my own life and confronting folks in my community who are hand to mouth. And as I started to realize that this is a na- nationwide phenomenon, like the Mayo Clinic says 97% of us are unhealthy. So there goes life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. Uh, 61% of us are lonely and that was before the pandemic. And we all know that uh, depression, anxiety, uh, isolation has like tripled uh, during the pandemic. Um, And then political polarization and and, and racial unrest. Uh, E pluribus unum is out the window. And it just started to hit me like, whoa, now I know why 
I feel upset. Even though I have a, I have a connection to my own personal purpose, I'm living in this place that makes purpose, that makes life living the pursuit of happiness very difficult for the majority of its constituents. So that's really how the inquiry began for me. And when I launched Unity Lab in 2020, it is uh, a vehicle, a company that, that heals the soul of our nation by activating individual purpose and creating diverse connections and relationships within organizations. Now, the reason why organizations matter is that our government, you know, I'm not probably telling anybody anything they don't know, but full of polarization, gridlock, lots of great legislation, just dead on arrival in the Senate. Uh, and trust in government has slid from 77% in 1964 to a quarter. So only 25% of people right now trust the government. And less than half believe in the American dream, even though, you know, probably only 5% of us are <laughs> realizing it. Um, so government isn't going to solve our problems. We can't wait for DC to come in, just like sign into law. There's just too much dysfunction and corruption happening. And similarly with education, religion, journalism, those have also been on a multi-decade long slide. And so the only sector of society that is healthy enough, that has the self-interest to activate individual purpose, and we'll, we'll go, go into that in a second, uh, and also requires there being peace and democratic norms for them to even operate, because in an autocratic state, those things get nationalized and, and turned into crony capitalist uh Enterprises really quick. We saw what happened in Russia in the nineties. So, um, how much do you how much do you lay weight on? You know, I'm a bit older than you, and social media wasn't around, right? So, this instantaneous ability to communicate with the world has been good, uh, amazingly good to connect people, but amazingly crazy about dividing people especially during these times, uh, you know, George Floyd that you're talking about, um, you know, uh, uh, Trump, you know, you name it. I mean, it just seemed like it came in one after another, after another, after another. Um, how much do you believe that decline that you just talked about in our belief in government, on our belief in, you know, everything, really? We started questioning everything came from the fact that we were so connected and had such an ability to communicate with one another that we started questioning all these things versus in the past, we didn't have that instantaneous communication and we were fed propaganda and we're still fed propaganda. Yeah. The question is, we're all trying to figure out what's propaganda and what's true. I know it's impossible. Uh, <laughs> you yeah. know, so to, to answer your question, Greg, uh, I think, Social media and also just mainstream media decay. That's responsible for about two thirds of where we're at right now. Mm -hmm. uh, the fire was really lit in the seventies when neo neoliberalism took off, wages stagnated, and fifty trillion dollars of wealth was siphoned from the bottom one percent to the top one percent for folk to folks who don't need it. Mm -hmm. And when the fairness doctrine was not renewed in the eighties, that allowed all of our TV news folks to essentially say whatever they wanted to amp up viewership because now there are tons of channels and they needed to be uh, hyperbolic and extreme and 
uh, move us towards anger and outrage. And then come here, here comes social media in 2007 that now anybody can say anything without any need to fact check, any need to um, back up what they say. So I view the Fairness Doctrine and then the Communications Decency Act, uh, Section 230, that allowed social media companies to not be responsible. Those are just like gasoline thrown on the fire, but the fire started burning in the 70s. Mm-hmm. So here we are today. We've got all of our major institutions, with the exception of the private sector, completely hoppled. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, with integrity issues, business model issues, corruption issues, dysfunction issues, and the private sector right now is the only sector that could, that's actually functioning relatively well. And because of their tight relationship via lobbying K Street, when they want something done, it gets done. <laughs> well, the uh, only thing that I would say is that still the challenge is the division of wealth. You know, we I was listening this morning to somebody that said uh, Elon Musk could buy Twitter for $40 billion. And that was his last month's uh, increase in net worth. And, you know, when you, when you hear things like that, because he invested big time in Twitter today and it drove the stock up and you see what's happening, you have to start questioning, you know, this disparity, this inequity that's occurring between you know, you say, well, they say India has classes. You have a very high class, which is one third and, and a middle class, which is trying to get there and a very, very, very poor class. Yeah. Um, what, how does that contribute to, you know, uh, organizations in this case attempting to come together to solve this problem? If that's our own last bastion of hope here, <laughs> because yeah. everything else is dysfunctional, yeah. right? But then you look at the organizations, and I know there's a long-winded question, but, you know, you look at the ones that really have power, like the Googles of the world and the Facebooks of the world and the Amazons of the world and the, you know, and it's very small content in the Microsofts of the world, very small concentration of power again, mm-hmm. of power and the power to control lots of things, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, and, the, and, and it comes down to your e pluribus unum. We have put our faith and trust in a dollar. It's right on the dollar. Okay. <laughs> right. And that's where I question this. Yeah. Right. Well, yeah, exactly. Um, now, in a cohesive, coherent society that uh, takes care of everybody, things like a Tesla and an Amazon and a um, yeah, Microsoft are not bad things. You know, folks, especially when they're, when they're providing tools that are liberating and empowering, like where would I be without Gmail and Google docs? Where would I be without Facebook and LinkedIn? Like, Agreed. But the government, are- the government is trying to step again, again, like it did against Microsoft to yeah. say there's an antitrust. But now you say, well, is there antitrust at all of these companies? Are we going to go after Google? Now we're going to go after Amazon. Now we're going to go after all of them. Now they lost against Bill Gates the first time, if you remember in the 80s, yeah. right? But, you know, and I and I don't think our government is strong enough to actually even attack these companies because these companies are bigger than our government. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you. I'm yeah. with you. Yeah. Now, they, they, they do have a case because the airwaves, uh, 
are part of the commons. The internet, at least the portion that we surf around in here, yeah. is part of the commons. And right now, it's not being stewarded in stewarded in the interest of the people. It's being stewarded in the interest of essentially advertising. So whether they use antitrust, whether they use uh, they reinstitute FCC fairness or um, revoke Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act, uh, they, they need to do all that. Uh, but antitrust is just one of the things they think they can maybe get done. Um, but the, the real interest is in protecting the commons for uh, all Americans, really. Well, so it really comes back down to, as you said in the book, that this book is for an evolved leader, for the damn-giving evolutionary leader, you say. Uh, your book is attempting to bridge two worlds of haves and have-nots and close the gap on the inequality in the world. Um, and what must happen to our individual and collective consciousness and the soul's to live on purpose and to close that gap. Cause at, 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 at its point, I, I, I want to state this because I think it's important. Um, I, I interviewed Stephen Kotler. I can't tell you how many times and he has one coming out in two weeks called the devil's dictionary. And he says, there's only one thing that's actually going to change society as we see it today. And I thought this was, and it was empathy and compassion. Mm-hmm. And he said, if we don't have the empathy and compassion, and it, it, it's a, actually a story he tells in the Devil's Dictionary, and I think aptly written the Devil's Dictionary. Um, you know, and you know, could you comment on that? What do we have to do? These consciousness and the souls of people in the world to wake up, to yeah. live on purpose, to live in conjunction with, as you call it, the the nation's purpose uh, to rectify um, the challenges that we're faced with. Yeah. Um, How much of us can wake up because not everybody's going to wake up, but do you believe that enough could wake up to shift us globally? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, And I totally agree with Stephen Kotler. I'm a big fan of his work. Um, So empathy and compassion are uh, very difficult to just like wave your magic wand and say, okay, everyone start to feel and act more uh, towards a collective. You can't can't mandate it. It's not a top-down thing. Uh, But it can be cultivated through uh, consciously structuring relationship. Now, this kind of keys in the work that we do with Unity Lab. So how does an organization both activate individual waking up organizational flourishing and and protect and save the Republic. They get really have to do two things. One, they have to re- recognize that they themselves are pretty much a sovereign entity with a culture, education functions, healthcare functions, environmental functions, policy functions, and that internally they uh, can cultivate behaviors and beliefs. Um, and once you get to 25% of a population, that's a tipping point. So the work that we do is we put people into small, diverse learning groups. So groups of four that have as much diversity in those groups as possible and move them through a series of programs that have them self-reflect on their own purpose and values, take new actions at work that express those. So these are 
actions that are pro-social, oftentimes including empathy and compassion, and then sharing their experience in these small uh, diverse group discussions following a discussion guide. So empathy and compassion and trust build across difference because these folks are meeting uh, five times once every two weeks uh, and building these relationships and sharing what's really true for them, not their identity, not their uh, opinions, not their race, not their ideology, but sharing really who they are, their own humanity. And that's- but aren't, but aren't uh, Brandon, I don't know what the number is. You know more about the findings and statistics than I do. So maybe you can enlighten my listeners and me. You know, I just finished that interview with Stephen Kotler on Trust and Inspire. And, you know, the whole premise of the book is to move from command and control in corporations to trusting and inspiring. Easier said than done, because I believe 90% of our corporations, even though they may espouse some of this stuff, are still command and control. Um, and, you know, if that's the case, we got a long way to go, dude. I know, I know. I mean, it it really is a mindset shift and Trust and Inspire is a great way to move folks towards that. I think my book is as well. I would also throw in Purpose Driven Organizations by Carlos Ray. But there is a mindset shift that like what got us here, this command and control, extract, exploit relation or, you know, orientation is not going to. It's where we need to go. Yeah, lead to any further organizational growth. And it's, it's also not going to lead to our survival because our three largest stakeholders, investors, employees, and customers all demand this more conscious way of doing business. They, they want uh, living wages. They want uh, trust and transparency. They want uh, more humane people practices like parental leave. Uh, they want cradle to cradle supply chain. So, Business has every incentive to do this. this is, that's why I wrote this book for business leaders is that you will win by the measures of the old game and you'll also activate all the potential that's just latent waiting there. Like 80% of the world's workforce is disengaged. So think about that. Yeah. Everything- but if you look at the mammalian brain, you know how it, how it actually works. It, it's, it defaults to time as money. It does. Yeah. right now, it And it does. doesn't really want to give people the time to make the investment into what is here now. And that is one of the things we're up against mm-hmm. is how this between here and here actually works from a psychological standpoint to get those leaders to let go so that they can, people can have more autonomy. There can be more trust, you know, and, and I really appreciate your perspective. You speak about the racial unrest and the impoverished state of many of the Black, Indigenous, and people of color, as well as the uh, the BLM, Black Lives Matter movement. And you 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 know you spent some time talking about George Floyd's murder and this racial divide. How can defining and living on purpose help us to ameliorate these problems? that exist in our country. Because look, that problem stems from that mammalian brain where the guy leaned on George's neck for eight minutes and 26 seconds or whatever it was, Mm -hmm. because he had no compassion, no empathy, no nothing to just get up and say, hey, look, you know, just handcuff the guy and take him off versus kill him here this way. 
is stupid in front of cameras running and whatever. But my point is, is so much of that exists and I don't want to blame the police or enforcement agencies. What I want to do is look to the leadership of these organizations to transform. And I know the police of all people right now are trying to get your work. They're really (laughs) trying. I mean, if you're not working with, you know, enforcement agencies of any type, something's wrong because you should be. (laughs) So my question is, is how do we, how can we define living on purpose, help to ameliorate these issues? Yeah. So all the research on what purpose does to human behavior and beliefs, mm-hmm. uh, scienceofpurpose.org. But I just want to pull out a couple. Where of- is it? Say it again. Scienceofpurpose.org. Really? So we want to put a link to that, scienceofpurpose.org. Okay, I'm going to write it down. But I, ju- I just want to pull out a couple of key pieces here. Uh, is that when individuals connect to their own purpose and values, they have a 4x reduction in anxiety in diverse environments. They also have high levels of compassion, empathy, other-centeredness, generosity. It's because basically the, the purpose journey connects us to our true nature. And that's who, that's who we are, really. We're just living in systems that incentivize other behaviors around selfishness, achievement, you know, CYA, getting ahead, all that kind of stuff. So when you activate purpose, you're actually bringing out people's humanity, Yeah, but wasn't it always instilled in us? Again, I'm going to break in here because we are thought of less than men, men. I'm going to talk about men's group, men. Mm -hmm. When we are not striving to succeed or to be something or to whatever, to be a compassionate, empathetic man. I've had people say that about me. It's like, man, you're one of the most compassion and understanding you have both equal male and female in you now that's why i say you know because we need a female president Mm -hmm. we need a female board of directors right because there's something about the feminine side that we all know has compassion and empathy built in it there were mothers that's what they do right so I'm just wondering, how do we reprogram these males out there? That's a, you, you talk about it, and I read it probably more than once. You, you even said it kind of about your dad, but these white male dominated, you know, I, I see O'Connell up there and I'm like, holy shit, 80 some years old speaker of the house. What the pardon me? Fuck. <laughs> you know, this guy does not belong there. This is a, you know, and then I could say that about so many political leaders today. Right, right. I mean, I'm sitting here looking at him going, scratching my head. Where's the diversity? What happened here? How did these guys get control of this? Yeah. So I'll, 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 pardon I'll, for the long no, no, that's perfect, dissertation perfect. here, but I'm, you know, it actually gets me upset when yeah, I well, speak about shit. it. Huh? <laughs> sacred is being desecrated in real time. We're watching it every day on the news. And yeah. So to uh, put a finer point on what's going on with men, uh, so there's a great research on when children are shamed out of their emotions. And for mm-hmm. boys, it starts very early, like four or five. Yeah. So whether you want to call that feminine, whether you want to call that just our emotional intelligence, it happens to women much later. And, and we've all seen, you know, 
lean in type folks in organizations, uh, female who act very much like a wounded man, you know, so it's not yeah. Oh, yeah. male, female, but w- one of the things that, that men need and really all people need is a safe space to actually share what they feel. And that's the work that we do in the mankind project, helping men discover who they really are, giving them access to their emotions. It's the work we do in unity lab by having folks meet in these small groups with very tight, agreements like confidentiality and safety where they actually get to share for the first time really what what their experience is and i'm not saying that it's the it's the fix-all like we all need to do trauma work if we've had childhood trauma if we've been emotions neglected abused rejected all that stuff uh but right now what we're witnessing is traumatized leadership this is like just look at vladimir putin like this guy just needs a a hug and a <laughs> right. blessing and some healing work. And he'd be like, Oh my gosh, I'm such an idiot. I can't believe I killed all those people because I didn't get enough hugs. So um, that's a piece of it. Now speaking to that mindset to get them to do something about it. Uh, I always just lay out the ROI for, for every employee that uh, is connected to their purpose and has a sense of belonging. They add $20,000 in productivity a year. Mm-hmm. So the average 10 years, four years. So that's, that's an $80,000 return by activating purpose and belonging within your organization. And Unity Lab does that at scale. Like we can turn that on next week, right? Uh, and the investment is is like a 10th of that, right? To be able to, to, to do that. So from, a, like I said, the, the traditional metrics of the old game, you'd be a fool not to activate purpose and belonging. But you're dealing with some deep-seated beliefs, Brandon, with inside the individuals in the organization, whether male or female, and the pressures of the organization that's been put on these people to perform. And the question is, how do they give a damn that now there's a new layer here, right? You cited great statistics. It's not that I disbelieve them. It's like, how do I break this fundamental belief that's running inside of the individual first, then in the collective body of people to have them come together in unity lab and have, pardon me, but I'm hoping it is a kumbaya, right? It's like, I got a kumbaya moment. I wake up and I go, Hey, my purpose is going to make me feel better. I'm going to be healthier. I'm going to be more productive. I'm going to want to work more. And I think the word work is really overused, to be honest with you, because every time I think about the vernacular work, it's like, if you love what you do, it's not work. And if you're on purpose, it's not work, right? It's like you and I doing this podcast here, we probably could talk the rest of the day. But the point (laughs) is, is that, you know, you cite that we're a divided nation. The result is 74% of us don't have any friends from different ethnicities, 69% of us don't have friends from different generations, and 63% of us don't have any friends with different levels of education. You state that when we divide and blame each other, Mm -hmm. we miss, point the finger out there, three fingers are pointing back at you, Uh, we miss the deeper dehumanizing narrative of our story. How do you recommend that we rewrite the story? And this goes back to what I just said. It's the stories we're carrying around with us in the Unity Lab. 
how do we rewrite the story so we create a society that has more inclusion, compassion, and acceptance for one another? Because that is the key. We got all these stories, and it doesn't have to be one unified story. It has to be a story that has certain values that I believe in that can be expressed. How do we rewrite that? Yeah, and and uh, that's why I led with the purpose of the nation, because these are very sacred ideals. Yeah. And our story to come up with these and our story to actually make them real, you know, making progress, not fast enough by, by any account. But like, I think, I think actually I think the story of our nation as like one of a, of a covenant that is built on ideas and laws and not about uh, people and, and not about culture. Um, like Russia, for example, perfect example, like Putin is trying to create a national identity around land and history, not ideals. And right. Putin and, and his, his uh, allies are winning. Now 68% of humanity lives under autocratic rule. That's up from 48% just 10 years ago. So democracy itself, like a liberal society, constitutional democracy, those things, if we care about them, and this is really the call to action for leaders, like if you want to s- spend the next 20 years just hopping around trying to amass a pile of chips while the republic falls, Go for it. This this is not the book for you. The book for you. This is the book for you. Of like, I need to do whatever I can right now to effectuate democracy, our national purpose, in house, and also use our market power, our brand, and our voice to take a stand and protect those ideals at home and abroad. But so, not just this guy, Putin. Many people are failing the test of money and power. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. They're using their power inappropriately. They're using their money inappropriately. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And and so I don't know how you want to say that, but would you agree with that statement? Oh, absolutely. Okay. So it's like, okay, I'm a philanthropist. I want to give money someplace. You know, if I'm um, if I'm Elon Musk, I have plenty to give away. If I'm Jeff Bezos, I have plenty to give away to make a change. Uh, or no, I look at it, I employ enough people that I'm really c- contributing back to society. I just think that there's a whole mindset shift that needs to occur there around party money and power. And you state that if we are to do, if we are to fulfill our purpose as a nation and understand the role of the organization, which we've been talking about, have it to be fulfilling it, then we'll have to, um, uh, surface the underlying myth that has driven our nation for centuries. What's the myth and how do we start to elevate the consciousness to bridge the gaps in inequality? Yeah. So uh, it's essentially hyper-individualism or what the Cree nation calls wetico, like a parasitic selfishness. Mm-hmm. And even though our stated purpose is anything but it's like it's beautiful it's about all of us winning diversity is our strength uh but what's actually been driving us especially in the private sector is this sense of individual achievement wealth accumulation and now of course yeah. we have bezos and the most of the world we're standing on top of their gold with <laughs> and everyone else feel like i'd like to eat <laughs> so um but I fundamentally um brandon isn't they're the fundamental things is fear. 
Well, yes. At a level, because everybody yeah. out there, you were talking earlier about, you know, we live in San Diego in a society which has got a lot of Im- impoverished people. You know, when Maslow did that study way back when, the basic level things aren't being taken care of. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you say, well, how does crime rise in a city? It rises by the people who don't have what they need in most cases, and they weren't brought up in a normal structure. So instead, well, let's go just take it from somebody else, right? And so I know I'm kind of off the track here, but not really. Where I'm going with this is, is that fundamentally at the basis of this is fear. Putin's afraid. Uh, Many people are afraid that that structure in which we live is going to shift and they're not going to get their peace. Yeah. Right. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's like, well, this whole thing's going to shift. And when it does, how much am I going to get to keep? (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right. And then then you have, I have folks on the other side who have realized that they don't want to die with their money. They don't want to set up uh, generational wealth. They actually want to improve society. Yeah. Folks like Buffett and Malin Burnham and uh, lots of them. Yeah. Bill Gates. I've, wor- I've worked yeah. with lots of them. So, yeah. yeah. And there's lots of small ones too, but you know, that myth that you talk about and to uh, elevate consciousness. When I say elevate consciousness, I'd say the same thing as Stephen Kotler. It's like, hey, look, uh, we've got to be more empathetic and we've got to be more compassionate if we're going to resolve these issues, right? Yeah. Now, you have a picture of a bison on the front of the book and you speak about the bison way, which you have a little bit, but not, you haven't gotten into depth with it, Uh about the bison and the ethics of courage, care, inclusion, play, independence, um, protection, and redemption. And I think I missed one. I did. But those, uh, I didn't even know that, which thank you for awakening me to that. Um, What is it about those descriptors that if everybody lived that way, we would have a more unified, fulfilled yeah. life, and we could move in unison as a, a one nation. Yeah. So uh, I juxtapose the bald eagle and, and the bison. Bald eagle yeah. representing our parasitic selfishness. Right. And, and it also being a very terrible uh, choice for our stated purpose, whereas our national mammal, the bison, which is only ratified in 2016 by a bipartisan coalition, comes with a much more uh, inspiring and inclusive set of ethics that, um, you know, implied ethics, just looking at their behavior, like, oh, wow. So they share space intimately with other species, inclusion. They're courageous. They run into a storm to move through it quickly versus like cattle who run away. Uh, Generativity and sustainability, they lead the environment better than they found it. Just those three. I, uh, we don't have time to go go through all eight, but just those three would radically change organizational life, civic life, community life, and our national character. Agreed. And so, the ethics of the bison can then uh, be adopted by organizations should they so choose, and activated very quickly within 
literally two quarters, you could activate purpose and belonging and see individual flourishing, the flourishing of your organization, and know that you did the best that you could to protect our democratic ideals and our nation's purpose in, in-house and out in the market. And in your company. Yeah. You know, agreed. And I, and I think it's so important. And I'm going to say to my listeners, you know, get the book. It's, it's not only filled with great advice, but you know, he gives you questions at the end to think about. And also, uh, stats, you know, a lot of people will fundamentally place their, um, importance on statistics, you know, percentages. And I think it's great because it tells you how we're moving. There's an analytic in the book that shows you how we're moving. And in some cases, um, you know, Brandon points out we're moving in the wrong direction. And in other cases, he points out we're moving in the right direction. And you, as a company, want to move in the right direction. And you call for some very decisive action and state that our flight plans are useless. Uh, that we must turn all of our cards face up and start playing a new game. We need to embrace the current reality and rethink everything with the bison ethos in mind and at heart. What does this look like and where should leaders start in developing a new flight plan? Yeah. So, so the first piece is just to recognize that we are in VUCA times, volatile, uncertain, chaotic, and ambiguous. Right. That right. No executive team. I don't care how many Harvard MBAs are in that, in that room, are smart enough to have it figured out all in advance. We need what Kotler was talking about, uh, trust, agility, transparency. We, we need individuals to be solving problems and creating new solutions, but they can't in a command and control organization. So the first is just to understand that command and control is useless. Like you're just going to be respond, responding to fires if that is your only orientation. Whereas what, what you can do right now is activate the purpose and belonging of your organization at a, at a cultural level, at a behavior level, at a leadership level, and empower people to bring their wild ideas, their dissenting opinions, and start to shift how things are, are done in the organization to meet the evolving demands of customers, uh, employees, and investors who all want sustainability and equity. So that's that's not going to happen by... Uh, a CEO having an aha on the golf course that those right. are thousands if not hundreds of thousands of, of decisions that need to be made newly. And you can't do that unless you empower folks. So what we get, get to in the back half of the book is how do you actually do that? So first you activate purpose and belonging in your organization. And then you move that into a, a broader discussion of, okay, now that we know who we are, who is our organization for the world? So we have a, a, a deeper dive in our organizational uh, purpose and values. And then we set up the business, restructure the business to fulfill on those in a way that, A, meets the market demand, the things that employees and, and customers need, but, but B, actually has us feel fulfilled in knowing that we're shifting an organization to be a steward of not only the organization's mission and values, but the nation itself. Mm-hmm. It's activating democratic ideals, empowering egalitarian ideals on a day-to-day basis. So would you say a good example of that might be Patagonia, Chouinard? I would, I would put him on that list. I'd put okay. Patagonia on the list. I'd put Eileen Fisher on that list. 
Uh, I, I even put Microsoft, frankly. Microsoft. Yeah. Is- well, the new CEO is yeah. exceptional. Yeah. Uh, LinkedIn. I love those folks. Um, they're doing well. Great- they're owned by Microsoft. So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, in small businesses today to take this on through Unity Lab, and this is my plug for Unity Lab and uh, for Brendan, um, you guys can go to unitylab.com. What? CO. And you can learn more about what he's doing. You can go to his website, which I already said is uh, Brendan, B R A N D O N P E E L E dot com. And I'd encourage you to do that. And if you want to just take a, you know, a pass at it, just get the book. We'll put a link to Amazon on that. He's got some pretty cool videos up there as well uh, that you watch. And you can you can watch him at his website, and you've got him at a YouTube channel as well, right? Yeah. So encourage all of you go check out the work that he's doing, because if you really want to shift creativity, innovation, inclusion, um, profitability, everything that you might want to do, while at the same time having social impact, and I think this is important because. You know, we don't do this alone. So the social impact part of it is really, really, really important. Um, and I think every organization, if they had a social impact over and above them selling their product, unless their product was going to have some great social impact, great, right? Um, so it's been a pleasure having you on the show. Um, Brandon, thanks for taking the time speaking with my listeners. I could have talked to you a lot longer than I did. I skipped some of the questions, but it was it was a great dialogue. Uh, namaste to you. Thanks for taking the time to be on. You got it. Take care. Thank you for listening to this podcast on Inside Personal Growth. We appreciate your support. And for more information about new podcasts, please go to InsidePersonalGrowth.com or any of your favorite channels to listen to our podcast. Thanks again. And have a wonderful day.